0: So, Gospel of John, but before you go there, I guess go to the first epistle of John, just a little bit of background over. Um, part of this is coming as a result of Rihanna. there. We were going through a Thursday night study and we got to chapter 3 and we kind of whizzed through the last half of chapter 3 where it talks about John the Baptist and that debate about purification and about... Jesus baptizing more people than John and all the rest of that stuff. And well, what are you supposed to actually get out of that? So we just kind of buzzed through that kind of quick. And I was talking with her afterwards. I was like, man, we kind of flew through that part of it. And she's like, yeah, well, I didn't know what to get out of it. So we went on to something where you could get something out of. And I was like, you know, that's true. I never have known what to get out of that last half of chapter. So I spent some time thinking about it. Trying to understand the importance of what he was talking about, and as a result of what I had been missing in the last half of chapter three, unlocked the whole book to where it just seemed to all flow together, and all. it was just—it was pretty cool. So, what we'll be talking about this morning is a little bit as a result of that, where things just seemed to really be cohesive. But the topic is: uh, go to First John chapter two because I want to raise a question so you can understand the significance of what we'll be talking about. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. These are strong words. And uh at first, it seems really clear what he's talking about. Don't don't be loving the things of the world. And you remember the Puritans and the believers back in the you know back at the beginning in America or whatever, where they they purposely lived a simple life. They didn't dress extravagantly. They didn't own lots of things because they were trying to not love the world. Because probably because of this verse, you know, who wants to be caught loving the world when the 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 uh, the effect of loving the world or the result of loving the world is that the love of the Father is not in you. <laughs> that makes it serious. So I think a lot of times we just kind of assume that he's... meaning that we should live simple lives. But then you've got passages like 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, where Paul makes a comment about rich people. He says chapter 6 and verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And he goes on to talk about them, how they should be do good and be rich in good works and so forth. But it seems that Paul here is saying that he does not calling rich people to uh, set aside all the things that money could buy and just live simple lives. He's saying that God gives you richly all all things to enjoy, whether they are things of the world or whether they're spiritual things. So that then raises, that kind of makes the question, I think, puts the focus on what what is the world? This world business that we're not supposed to love. do not love the world, nor the things of the world, but then how can God give us richly all good things to enjoy? question that I faced as I grew up, uh, and got an adult age because we were kids. We were poor. We didn't have hardly anything. I didn't know that at the time because we had a really good life. It was a lot of. I mean, it was a lot. Of, it was a really good life. It was only later, that as looking back, and uh, I began to realize that really they had nothing, you know, to speak of. It was a lot of nothing that we had. And now life has changed a lot. Things have, you know, as I. Followed the Lord as best I knew how and took the responsibilities that He set in front of me. It led me to a path to where I end up with more money than I need. So then that question comes up, like, how do you handle that? You don't want to be caught loving the world because that's a bad thing. What is this world that we're not supposed to be loving? So the Gospel of John, the main point to the Gospel of John is pretty straightforward. John tells us it... At the end, the reason that he's written this is that you may believe in the Son of God. He's trying to show to us that Jesus was not the normal type of person, normal man that you see. and, and who be, some, He wasn't somebody who was in obscurity and then was raised up to become the Messiah, the Anointed One, because that's what happened to his father David. David was somebody that lived in obscurity. He was a shepherd boy watching the flocks of his father's sheep. And God took note of him and sent the prophet Samuel, and he became the anointed. Okay, so Messiah means anointed. David became the anointed. And God raised him up then to become king of Israel and the deliverer of Israel from all their enemies. In a very similar way, it appears that Jesus was raised from obscurity to become the deliverer of Israel. But John is very focused on showing us that that David was, or uh, sorry, Jesus was not like David in a sense that he was just a man. Jesus came from heaven. He was sent by God from heaven down to earth, and then rose from obscurity to become the Savior of the world. But that was the purpose for which he came in the first place: was to be the Savior of the world. It's very different. He was from heaven above very high above us and this is what the end of John chapter 3 is makes the point is driving at he came from above and we are from below and he came the first half of John 3 says he came into this world so that because the father loved the world and he was bringing that whoever you know whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life So the whole purpose for which He came was to bring salvation to the world because the Father loved the world. After, uh, so in John chapter 3, it it discusses where Jesus came from and then chapter 4 begins to talk about how He, uh, I don't know, it, it talks about believing really and what it means to believe and so forth, and what it's called to believe. But then in chapter 5, it takes a turn. And he begins... John writes about the conflict that Jesus had with the Jews and how they would attack Him and how they hated Him. And it goes on and on and on. Chapter 5 and then 6, and not so much conflict, but it was again, it was Jews that opposed Him. There was some conflict there. And then 7, there's a lot of conflict. And 8, I mean, they're about ready to storm. And 9... They're kicking his followers out of synagogue in 10. You know, he's again face-to-face in God. It's just endless conflict. But in those stories of conflict, he shows to us the characteristics of the world. What this world is like that we're not supposed to love and that we're supposed to stay away from. And how it is that that world and the things of the world, there's not just this world also the things of the world and how the world takes the things that God gave us richly to enjoy and turns it into something that you need to watch out for. And that's what I want to look at. What is this world that Jesus was talking about? Now, Give you a little bit of a sneak. I mean he doesn't really reveal this until like I think chapter nine or ten or some or eight or ten or somewhere's in there. But he shows Jesus shows that these religious Jews that he's facing that they are of the world. They are the if you want to see what the world looks like, these Jews are exhibit A so you need to keep that in mind because as we go through, as he's having conflicts with these Jews, they look like religious Jews, but they are exhibit A of what the world is. And he's going to show the characteristics, the the heart characteristics of these Jews, and they become then for us an illustration of what the world is. So chapter 5... I haven't really thought out how I want to go through this piece by piece, you know, because you could spend a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. Chapter five begins with a very odd story of the lame man laying beside the pool, and uh, Jesus comes to him and asks him if he wants to be healed. And the guy's like, "Well, what do you think I'm sitting here for, anyhow? I mean, this is, I mean, but I just I can't quite get to the pool fast enough. You think I'm just sitting here to look at the waters? I mean, I'm trying to get in the pool." And Jesus is like, "Well, I'll solve that problem." And then he heals the guy and he says, You better pick up your bed there and put it away. So the guy's carrying his bed off and he gets confronted by the Jews who tell him, Hey, this is the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be doing any work on the Sabbath. Carrying your bed is clearly work. And so he's, and they said, Who? He said, Well, it it wasn't my idea to carry the bed. The guy that healed me, he told me to carry the bed. And they're like, Whoa, healed on the Sabbath. Who's doing that kind of work? Who healed you? And he says, well, I don't know who it was. And then later when Jesus finds him, then he finds out who it was. And he goes back and tells the Jews, well, that was Jesus that gave me such a command. His fault. So the Jews, they hated Jesus. It says in verse 16 of chapter 5, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Why did the Jews hate Jesus? Jesus for doing those things on the Sabbath uh, well because they were very zealous for the Sabbath the Sabbath was a a big deal for the Jews there was a number of times where God had caught them not keeping the Sabbath and held them accountable for that that. And, and they became aware that that Sabbath was although it seemed like an insignificant command it was a very important command and they needed to be keeping it so they were very zealous to keep it and so now you've got this guy who's going around healing people on the Sabbath. Well, that's not a minor thing. That's a major work to heal somebody on the Sabbath. But because of their zeal to keep the Sabbath, they were angry at Jesus. My point is that these Jews are not what you would normally think of as worldly people. They're not out there breaking God's commands left and right, living however they want to. They are very zealous to keep God's commands. Well, what's their problem then? Why is it then that if they're so zealous to keep God's commands, why is it they aren't close to God? Why is it that they are counted as part of the world and not part of God's children? And so the conversation goes on. Jesus tells them who he is. It's Again, it's that theme that's constantly repeated through John. He said, you know, he's like, I'm... I am with the Father. Everything I do is what the Father shows me to do. I'm not like your average man that's learning what the Father wants him to do. I know what the Father wants me to do, and I'm doing it. Always, everything I do, constantly in step with the Father. And He has given me a position of honor. You should be honoring me like you honor the Father because I have the judgment of who lives and who dies. When the, when you guys come to the end and you're... Be judged in all your actions. If you come before the throne of God. I'll be sitting on the judgment throne, and I will be making the call of whether you live or die. So you need to honor me like you honor God. That's the first thing that he he tells them. Then he he turns to them and he says, "Now let's let's take a look at you guys." He says in verse thirty-eight. Well, let's let's do verse 37. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So he's... He's fair to them. He says, look, you guys, you do search the Scriptures, and you search it hard. And the Jews do, don't they? Even to this day. They they really honor people who dedicate them life, their lives to studying. And all the teachings, everything that they can about the Word of God, I mean, they study it hard. And they always have. These men were like that. But despite that, all of their knowledge of the Scripture somehow God's Word was not abiding in them; it, it didn't have a home. It wasn't living; <laughs> wasn't living inside them. It was just dead words, I guess, inside them—not living words. I don't know. One characteristic of the world is that the Word of God doesn't live in them. They may know about it, but somehow not a living word inside of them I you know how are you going to describe what that means what's the difference between having the word of God in your mind and having it alive in your heart that's if you've experienced it you know it if you haven't how do you describe it but he continues on he says look in verse 41 I do not receive honor from men but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you I have come in my Father's name, you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And he begins to shed a little bit of light to what it means to have the word of God living inside you. The clue is in verse 42 where he says, you do not have the love of God in you. if the Word of God is living inside of you, that means what the Word of God says is relevant to what you're doing in your life today. So the actions that you do, the Word of God addresses those actions. It talks about those actions. Now, some people will say, let's let's take the command of thou shalt not lie, for example, bear false witness. And, uh, They'll take that command and they'll say, uh, well, what I was doing wasn't actually a lie. I mean, it was just kind of more of a white lie. It was kind of maybe misleading that person, but it wasn't an actual lie. Well, now you've got facts on the page and you got your actions and the two aren't correlating. I mean, you mislead somebody. You're not telling them the truth and the Word of God says that lying is wrong. If the Word of God is alive inside of you, it's showing you that your action does not match up to righteousness. I mean, it convicts you. It makes you realize your sin evidently they had the Word of God in there such a in such a way that it wasn't it wasn't I don't know convicting them because if the Word of God convicts you then you you have to turn to him to look for mercy and if you're looking to him for mercy you find that it's there and that the love of God, That's what David found. David, he went and you could see how David. He killed Uriah, his uh, Bathsheba's husband. He didn't let the word of God bother him too much until Nathan the prophet came up and said, "Look, this is what you did. You, you, no, you didn't lift the sword or you didn't drop the stone on his head, but it was you who sent him there to be killed." And when that word of God came alive inside of him, he realized, "Oh!" And the, the psalms that he wrote, crying out about his sin that he was under. And he turned to God and he found the mercy of God. And, the, and he, was incred, he was amazed that God would not impute sin upon him, even though there was no sacrifice that he could bring. And the love of God was in his heart. Well, these Jews didn't have that. They knew the word of God. but For some reason, it didn't bring them to the point where they needed the mercy and they were looking and finding his love. The love of God was not in their heart. But what did they do? He said in verse 44, how can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? They were they thought as long as people approve of me, then I'm fine. And the little guilt that I feel inside, it's it's a lie. I mean, it's they as long as I mean they were This is what the world does. This is what the world looks for approval. We all look for approval. Everybody does. But the world looks for approval from each other instead of from God. If you're looking for approval from God, then when you do something and God's word says that you ought not have done that, that brings you to the guilt, which turns you to the mercy, which implants the love of God in your heart. If you're looking for honor from other people, you do something wrong and you're embarrassed and everybody's looking down on you. You try to make it up and get things up. When I was... We were part of this... Uh, group of engineers in North Dakota ACEC and and it was a weird thing it was mostly civil engineers and there's a lot of civil engineering firms in North Dakota I don't know maybe a dozen or so or I don't know if there's even that high it's, it's not a ton but there's several and so you get together every year and you talk about the legislature because you want to influence the laws that benefits us that's just how it works You know, this lobby thing is for real <laughs> but you know you try to you talk about the legislature and then that you'd have an award ceremony people would present their designs judges would look at it and then somebody would get an award and uh one of the guys was telling us you know you need to put your some of your projects in there so that you guys can get an award and i was like this is so stupid i know most of these people in this room there's not that many engineers i mean like i know most of them they interacted with them and if I'm going to go, I mean, it's like these guys are going to come up and just pat me on the back and say, oh, here, we're giving you this award. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. Next year I'll give it to you. You know, And that's that's all it was because every year you had to do. And there's only so many engineering firms, so every firm got an award every other year or something or another. It was, it was stupid. But they were looking for honor from one another. And that's the way the world does. But you, it's better, you I know, mean, but if you take it on a national level, then it's impressive. You get a real award then. I mean, you even get like, You could end up like uh, my brother-in-law ended up as a small business of the year at the White House lawn and he gets recognition from the president himself. But the president puts his pants on like anybody else. It's just one person patting another person in the back. It's stupid. But that's what the world does. Because they're looking for honor from one another, they're not so much concerned about the honor that comes from God. Don't be like that. We all want honor, and it really is nice, and it is good for us to uh, pat each other on the back and tell each other you've done a good job. And it feels good when people do that, and it's very encouraging, and that's good. But that's all the world has, is that encouragement, and and that's all they hunt for, really, is that other people be dressed. Don't love honor from other people like that becomes your goal, that that's what lives inside of you is that people honor you. Look for the honor from God. Don't love these things of the world. You're going to be a very godly Jew or a very, shall I say, zealous Jew. You can be a very zealous Christian in trying to do great things for God and be somebody that's guilty of Wanting, I mean, really, you're looking for uh, people to be impressed. I've seen it. You've probably seen it. This is what John is telling us not to love. Chapter 6, then, uh, these are very, the elite Jews. They were the very cream of the crop in Chapter 5. Chapter 6, you see, everyday folks. These are the people who... They went to their synagogues every Sabbath day. They they followed, uh, the, you know, they were faithful teachings, whatever. They were, in fact, they were looking for Jesus. In chapter six, they seen his miracle. He did. They were convinced that he was the prophet that came, the one that Moses promised, the one that God was going to send. They were convinced that Jesus was that prophet, and so they were trying to track him down. They finally did. They tracked him down. They found him. Uh, and uh, in verse twenty six, Jesus says to them. In John chapter 6, he, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. You know, that's not a very encouraging response. They, they, they had been with Jesus the day before, and then Jesus left and went across the sea, and they didn't see him go, and they tracked him. They finally, you know, been a bit of work to track this guy down. They finally got, got caught up to him. And he says, what are you chasing after me for? You should be chasing after eternal life. And it's like, they're missing something, clearly. Jesus is like, you guys have got a huge problem here. You're missing something. And they said, Well, what do we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. And they're like, Believe in you? You're just a guy who came up out of obscurity and now you're, you're this teacher and everybody's following after you. Like, what do you mean believe in you? We don't believe in the prophets. How, what do you mean believe in you? And he goes on to tell them that same theme again I'm not just an average guy. I'm the bread that came down from heaven, right? I started up here. You guys start from down here. I started from up there and came down here. And they're like, whoa. Now you're talking crazy talk. Ain't nobody come down from up there. I mean, this is what in the world are you talking about? And he says in verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. What he's getting at here. He's saying there are some... uh, I think he's he's talking specifically to the Jewish people, although it applies to the rest of the world, but keep it in context to the Jewish people because... The Jewish people are all the people of God, right? God had brought them out of the land of Egypt. He had made a covenant with them. He had established them as His people, and He, he stuck with that. Made, he's, he stuck with that covenant throughout all their history, even up to the present time when Jesus was there. So there they have the people of God, and some of these Jews were drawn to Jesus like they. They grabbed on and they wouldn't be shaken like they said, this guy has really got something. And they followed him to the end. Then there was other people that were intrigued by Jesus. But just as a a prophet maybe or a great teacher, you know, like they didn't really see him as much more than that. And Jesus is saying, look, there's a difference between you. Some of you are really drawn to me. Some of you are at best only intrigued. And he tells them, look, this drawing to me is not by accident or happenstance. This is what God is doing. He's drawing certain ones to me. It's not just uh, something that happens in their mind, but God is working a work where these Jews are drawn to me. And the rest of you are not drawn. And he explains what the difference is. In verse 46, he says, it is written in the prophet's they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except for he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Those who have learned and been taught by God, they are the ones that are drawn to Jesus. They are the ones that the Father draws to Jesus. So this is a group of people who, for the most part, were good, faithful Jews. They appreciated good Bible teaching. They went to their synagogues and everything else like that. They liked, they were intrigued with what Jesus was saying and all those kinds of things. But that didn't mean that they were taught of God. They just... I don't know, they, they went to synagogues because that was the right thing to do. And that's what, they were Jews. That's what you were supposed to do. But in going to the synagogue, they never, I don't know, they liked the teaching of the good rabbis. They liked the good stories that were told. They didn't like the teaching of the bad rabbis. They tried to arrange their Sabbath day activities so that if it was a bad rabbi teaching, you know, might kind of be sick that day or something. But the good rabbis, you kind of made special, you know, they were um, the rabbis were sitting there trying to convey to them these are the words of God and it's like it's like they never took their Christian life to that next level where they were trying to take they were taking their own Bibles and trying to understand what does God say to me they were just content to to hear what other people said about God and hear the story whatever that's what the world does the world doesn't they really, have much of an interest of learning what God has to say. Even if they're religious people, there are a lot of religious. These are religious people in the world. These are, but they are of the world. They don't have an interest really in what God says. They don't. They enjoy the the Sabbath. day synagogues. They enjoy the picnics with all their fellow Jewish, good Jewish people. They don't hang out with the bad Jews. They hang out with the good Jews, and they have good times together. Somehow, they never had an interest really in learning. From God. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody like that before. People who go to church. People who are faithful <coughs> doing church activities. But they really just... They don't really have much of an interest. Like, they don't mind reading their Bible sometimes. And some of them, they read a little devotional with their Bible, you know, so they can get something out of it. But it's like they... I don't read it to find out, like, what is God saying to me? Well How does His Word impact my life or my heart where I'm at right now. That's what the world does. Is they, they go through their Christian life, but they don't ever try to find out what God is saying to them. Don't do the things of the world. Don't love that nice, comfortable life that God gives us so richly, and then never bother to to draw near to God. to hear. Don't be like the world. Learn from God. Be taught by Him. If they had, they would have been draw, drawn to Christ. Peter, that goofball, fisherman, who no idea what kind of characteristic he had as a person. I mean, he seems kind of impetuous. He says a lot of things. But one thing, he shows evidence that he was taught by God. Because when Jesus said, well, do you want to go away too? Peter is like, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't know what you mean by eating bread and drinking blood. But you say that if we eat bread and drink blood, we have the everlasting life. I want the everlasting life. Whatever that eating bread, drinking blood, I don't know. But you keep talking about everlasting life, and that's what I want. Why does he want everlasting life? He wants forever to be near God. I think he was a man who had learned and was taught by God. And he was drawn to Christ even when... Half the stuff what Jesus said didn't make any sense to him, but he was drawn to him. Don't be like the world, but learn from God. Chapter seven Jesus is in Jerusalem. Uh even at the temple, this is where the really godly Jews hang out at. And and they are, there's a mixture of people there. Some people think he's okay. Some people think he's not okay. Some people want to kill him. So they have a bit of a mixture there. And... uh, Jesus goes up to that temple and he teaches and people are confused. Like, well, this guy never went to any seminary. How has he got the credentials then to teach at the temple? I mean, you, it's one thing to teach on a street corner, but if you're going to teach at the temple, like that's the big church, so to speak. You know, like you, this is where the good rabbis teach from, the guys with credentials. And this Jesus comes up and he's teaching. Like, he doesn't have any... Who taught him how to teach? And he says in verse 16 of chapter 7 Jesus answered them and said my doctrine is not mine but his who sent me if anyone wills to do his will any shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether they speak on my own authority whoever speaks from himself seeks his own glory but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him there's two little characteristics he gives us of the world here the world doesn't want to do God's will if anyone wills to do God's will, he will know what the Lord Jesus is teaching, whether or not it's true. But the world doesn't want to do God's will. They want to... You know, they want to... Oh, and, <laughs> It's kind of a funny place for him to say this because he's saying this at the temple. This is where the Jews always... The, the Jews who always did God's will. I mean, that's they, they kept the commands. They kept the feasts. Like everything that God told them to do, everything that God wanted them to do, they did... And yet, Jesus is telling them that you, you don't have that will to do God's will. The second part he says he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. You want other people to be impressed with you, you want people to think you're something special. If you want to do what God wants you to do, and you see in His Word what He wants you to do, like the real, not just the commands that He gives, but the heart behind the commands, what you find out is that you can't do what God wants you to do. I was talking to a guy this week, and he's one of those that are very zealous to do what God wants him to do. He wants to live his life absolutely perfect. That's his, it's his heart's desire to do what God wants him to do and he's been very successful at it, but he was telling me, he's like, I've been reading through the Proverbs. And he's like, man, you read through the Proverbs and the things he talks about in there that he wants us to do, it's like, it's hard to even understand sometimes what he's talking about, but you can see it's good. And it's how do you even begin to implement all these different things in your life? Like it's, he's like, this is a lot. That's what God's will is. It's a lot. you the more you begin to understand what God wants you to do. It's not just Ten Commandments. Like there's a whole book of Proverbs that describes how you interact with people in every different facet of your life. And it's like, how do you do that? If you really want to do God's will, you find out you can't do it. And that's why when you hear Jesus' doctrine and he talks about forgiveness and being... And receiving eternal life, it's like it's true. It is true that God wants us to live at absolute perfection, but we who fail, He I mean He showed mercy to Israel for hundreds and thousands of years. He is a merciful God. And when Jesus talks about forgiveness and he talks about God's mercy, it's true. won't be like the world and just passes by the will of God. They, they obey what they want to obey, what they can keep, and then just kind of ignore the rest of it. I've even seen Christians do that. I mean, have you ever heard anybody go through uh, Matthew chapter 5, like the Beatitudes, where he talks about people's, you know, loving your enemies and, and getting slapped on one side and turned the other side? I've heard people, respectable preachers, say, these things that he's talking about in Matthew 5, that's for the millennium. It's not, he was talking to Jews, and then he's talking about the millennial reign there. It's not really intended for us. Like, if our hand sins, we're not supposed to go cut it off. These are all teachings for the millennium. They're not, they don't directly apply to us. <laughs> well, wait. Do you think God has a higher standard of righteousness for people in the millennium than he does for me? Like, doesn't he want me to turn it Doesn't God turn his cheek When somebody smites him on one side, doesn't he turn the other side and let them smite him on that side too? Isn't that what God does? Isn't that righteousness? Isn't that what He wants for me? Isn't that His will? And I've heard people dismiss it and say, "You know, don't get too carried away with this. Don't be like the world. Long to do His will. Don't seek your own glory." If you think you're, you know, and we think that we're somebody that that other people ought to be impressed with, I mean, we're sadly mistaken. You seek the glory of God. The world doesn't do that. And as a result... Verse 28, Jesus cried out, and he's you know, as a result, of the world I mean, as a result, the world not wanting to glory to glorify God, they're not wanting to do his will. This is this is what happens to them. Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple. He said, You both know me and you know where I am from, and I have not come myself, but he who sent me is true who you do not know. They don't know God. And they're okay with it. They're fine and comfortable in the temple not knowing God. Chapter 8 kind of carries that same theme. There you've got this woman caught in adultery, and she's brought there to the temple, of all places, to bring an adulteress. And they're condemning her. And uh, they're trying to trap Jesus. And when Jesus answers them, shows them that He's the light, uh, they want to kill Him. They want to arrest him. Now they say a very odd thing. Let's see here. For the context sake, uh, verse 13 of John chapter 8, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I am come from and where I'm going. In other words, he said, look, Yes, I'm the only one telling you where I came from, but it's it's still true, because it is true. I mean, that's this is what happened. I, I know what happened to me. And then he says, You judge according to flesh, but I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. There are two witnesses. There's me and there's my Father. Again, this is that same theme where he's come from above. God sent him. They said to him, where is your father? And Jesus said, yeah, you've got that right. You don't know me or my father. The world does not know God. This was spoken in the temple of Jews who had spent their lives learning about God, and they didn't know him. They had never, I don't know, how do you, like, how can you possibly be in the temple, live your life out for God and not know Him? And this is where he tells them, uh, This is where he tells them who they are they are they're talking about being in bondage They said they've never been in bondage and then he says in verse 37 he says i know you are abraham's descendants but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you i speak what i have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father and they answered and said to him abraham is our father and jesus said to them if you were abraham's children you would do the works of abraham but now you seek to kill me a man who has told you the truth which I've heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. He's saying, look, you claim descendancy from Abraham and that's what you have, but you are somehow not children of Abraham. You don't have the same heart as Abraham. You are you're living a whole different kind of life than what Abraham lived. You're doing the deeds of your father and they're like, "Well, <laughs> wait a minute." We have one Father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your Father, the devil. And the desires of your Father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Those who are of the world... Are children of the devil. Again, this is spoken to Jews who are faithful in following after all the commands of God and keeping his peace and everything else like that. This tells me that there is no middle ground. Either you are seeking the Father to learn and be taught by him, or you are a child of the devil. If it's true of these Jews who were so had such the appearance of being godly that they were children of the devil, then it's got to be true for everybody. There isn't the option of either you are seeking after God and seeking to learn and be taught by him, or you're just kind of a mediocre person, or you're a rebel against him and you are a child of the devil. There isn't that middle ground. It's either you are seeking after God or... You're doing what the devil did, who didn't seek the glory of God, but he thought he could build up his own throne. And instead of holding to the truth of God, he developed a lie that God wasn't quite as good as what everybody seemed to think, and and he could be about as good and powerful as God, and and it wasn't true. And I guess that's the reality. Like, if you're not seeking after God, like, I mean, really, what else What else are you going to do? Like, he's God, and more people... So if you're not seeking after God, then you're living in a lie that God's not that important to seek after anyhow, which is where the devil was at. So you are a child of the devil. Doing what he did. Jesus, in verse uh, 54... Jesus said, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing but is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that He is your God. Yet you have not known Him, but I know Him. And in chapter 9, they again demonstrate they don't know where Jesus came from, and the blind man is like, Man, even a blind man can see where this guy came from. And that flows into chapter 10. As again, Jesus keeps talking about to these Pharisees, and he he talks to them about how they don't follow after him because they're not his sheep. They're not his sheep because they weren't God's sheep. God has given all things to the Lord Jesus, and they weren't God's sheep, and they're not his sheep. They are of the world, they are children of the devil. But notice what he says in verse 34. The Jews had brought the accusation to him and said, we were not stoning you for good works, but because of blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? This is a quoting from a psalm. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world that you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God? And that same theme again is there sent from God into the world. Why? Why did God send them into the world? Watch now, verse 37. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. This is spoken to the Jews who want to kill him on the spot. They've got the stones in their hands. They're ready to stone him. These are the Jews who are children of the devil who was a murderer. These are the Jews who follow after a lie like the devil follows off a lie. They don't know God. They are of the world. They are the face of the world. And Jesus says to them, I understand you don't believe me. And you're having a hard time believing my words. But look at my miracles. You've seen this blind man healed. You've seen the lame man walk. Believe the works. These are works of God. Believe that there really was a miracle. These guys really were blind. That one man was really blind. This guy really was lame. Believe that they really were healed so that you can know that these works that only God can do were done by me because the Father is in me and I in him. Do you understand he's appealing to these people who are the epitome of the world, appealing to them to be saved. These are the ones who are not his sheep. They were not drawn to him. And he's appealing to them because that's why he was sent. So that the world would not perish, but could have everlasting life. Don't be like the world. If you are like the world, know that the Lord Jesus, you you are one of the ones that He came for. He's wanting to save you. And to save you out of the world. He says in John chapter 17, when He's talking about the disciples, given them your word the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world you're not born not of the world the disciples weren't not of the world they were part of the world at one point but that had changed and they had believed in Jesus and he had saved them and now they were no longer of the world these Jews who hated the Lord Jesus and people today who find themselves of the world he, is, he has the capacity to save us And make us so we're not of the world. So that we can know God. We can have His love abiding in our hearts. I think the world is that which lives apart from God. They don't know God, they don't know His will. They may be very religious, but they don't. And so all the things that they take and they enjoy, it's apart from God. And John is telling us, don't be like the world. Don't love the things. Don't, don't be taken up with the things of the world and have your back turned towards God. And Paul tells us, look, you need to be looking. All these good things that you have to enjoy are given to you from God. To, make, to recognize that God is a part of your life is not of the world. But to live as if God is not part of your life, that is part of the world. Don't be like the world. And Father, we thank you again for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come into the world to save sinners. We thank you for your love towards us, for your patience and your mercy that even when we stumble and fall and begin to love the things of the world and, and forget your hand of goodness upon us, you are ever merciful and ever drawing our attention back to yourself, that we showing us the reality of your love towards us sinners. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who has brought this light into the world to show us who we are and who you are, and of your mercy towards us. And we thank you for your goodness. In his name, amen.